So we can... Hello, I think we're live. Are we live? Great. Well, welcome, everybody. We are live, Facebook Live, the Tomorrow's World live webcast. I'm joined by Mr. Uh, Richard Ames, who's an evangelist with the Living Church of God, and Mr. Gerald Weston, who's also an evangelist with the Living Church of God. Uh, You all probably know them pretty well because they're both on the telecast. And so we do encourage you to watch the telecast on uh, television or on Roku or on YouTube, uh, no matter where you are around the world. We're uh, happy to have you join us today. We are starting the show a little bit earlier today. There's some travel that's coming up, and we uh, needed to start the show a little earlier today. So thank you for joining us. Last quick comment before we begin the show. Please remember, uh, share, the, share the, the show with your friends on Facebook if you're watching it, and let your friends know that the show is going on and we're having a, a conversation. Today's conversation, um, I'm really looking forward to. It's a little different from some of the past ones. Today, we want to talk a little bit, bit about who are the men and women behind the Living Church of God. Who are the men and women behind tomorrow's world? And um, <clears throat> we wanted to begin with, the, uh, th- with that question. And uh, Mr. Ames and Mr. Weston, you've uh, been part of the church for many, many years. So maybe, Mr. Ames, you could, you could begin to answer that question. Well, the members of the Living Church of God go way back. Of course, I came into the church in 1961. And at that time, it was called the Radio Church of God. And over the years, we've come to the Living Church of God. We have co-workers and donors and members and ministers all over the world. We have people and uh, amazing. I, I have received re- uh, recently uh, letters of sympathy because of my brother-in-law's death and also because of an illness from church members all over the world, from Australia and, and uh, uh, Europe and Africa and so forth. Uh, these are common people that are in the living church of God. Uh, they're not, as it tells us in First um, Corinthians 1, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, there are some few uh, mighty and some few noble, uh, but they're common people, and common people who have called to the basic truth of the Bible. They are interested in what is God's truth, and that's what excites the membership of the Worldwide Church of God, realizing we want to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ because he gave the church a mission. And, of course, that goes back to uh, the very beginning of uh, the book of Acts and what Jesus was teaching. But these are common people who are dedicated to a mission. I think it's good to really go back because often we think of the living church of God as something that is fairly recent. And that term is recent, but not what we believe. Uh, We actually have a booklet here, uh, Restoring original Christianity. And it really is going back to that time. Uh, Our uh, presiding evangelist until very recently, Dr. Roderick C. Meredith, wrote that booklet. But he he pointed out that what we're trying to do is restore original Christianity. And now you notice we're not wearing black robes or white robes or something like that. But nevertheless, we're trying to get back to the Christianity that Christ and the apostles uh, delivered to us. It's not the Christianity that has come down today, and I think it's very important for us to realize that what we call Christianity today is radically different from the Christianity of Christ and the apostles. And so we know that there have been people who understood the truth all the way down through history. Uh, You know, I think that brings up um, a good point. Many people, and Dr. Meredith has written about this, and we'll talk about him and his impact and influence on all of us in in a few moments. But there are many people who are very sincere. They want to worship God. They, they want to be good people. But 
uh, you know, Scripture tells us that you can worship God in vain in Matthew. And uh, it is possible to, to, to not really be worshiping God the way he wants you to, but to, to, to assume that you're doing, you're doing the right thing. And I think that those of us in the living church of God, we don't think we're better than anybody else, but we do try as much as we possibly can through Jesus Christ in us. We try to obey the scriptures and follow Christ's example and just be good Christians. And there's more to it than that. There's also being part of a work and so forth. Uh, would, would either of you men want to make a couple comments about the work? Because when we talk about who are the men and women behind the church and what is the church, I think the work is a big part of it. And of course, you're both on the telecast, but maybe some comments about the work. Well, yeah, the uh, Christ was very specific about the responsibility of the church. We are to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to all the world. And we actually have a booklet on that subject about the uh, what is the true gospel. Because many people do not understand the true gospel, not because they are less intelligent or something. There is a point that God must call. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father in heaven draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So uh, we have to be able to understand these things because God is working with a certain number of people to do a work. And that work is to preach the gospel to the world, but also, I think uniquely to the living church of God, we understand that there is a warning message, an Ezekiel warning message, that Ezekiel was a prophet who was not able to go to the people that he was called to go to. Uh, and that message would be carried on at a much later date. So uh, we, we believe we have to preach the gospel to the world, uh, feed the flock, and also warn the world of what's coming upon it. I might mention that uh, Mr. Weston has done a telecast, of course, on the book of Ezekiel. We call it the Ezekiel warning. Realize, yes, as Jesus taught in Matthew 24, warned in Matthew 24, that there's a great tribulation coming. And we need to get that warning message out so that people repent. When people, uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, came to John the Baptist's uh, uh, baptism, he said, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. These people needed to be warned. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come, John said to them. And so we need to follow in his footsteps and Christ's warning message to the world as well. But another aspect, as Mr. Weston said, in addition to the Ezekiel warning, is to feed the flock. We preach the gospel. We have the Ezekiel warning but we feed the flock. Uh, John 21, uh, that famous interaction between Jesus and, and Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times. So Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And two he used the word agape two times. And then the third time uh, he used the word philia. So Peter said, oh Lord, you, you know I love you. Well, it was quite a, a, a challenge to Peter, but Peter had denied Christ, so Christ was turning it right around to him. And what did Jesus say? Feed my lambs. And so that's a, one of the major lessons, uh, missions, and responsibilities we have as a church. And uh, of course, in um, Revelation 19.7, it mentions that the church has made herself ready. So that's why the, the church is organized in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, where we have to feed the flock and uh, that the brethren can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ.
I, I think that that, uh, in, in looking at the big picture, we talk a lot about prophecy on the telecast. And the reason is that we are uh, trying to warn this world as what is to come. And when we look at our world, we see a world that is spinning out of control. And so many people recognize that something is wrong. Something is deeply wrong. And they wonder where it's heading. And God has opened us to understand uh, where it's going because of the prophecy of the Bible. And it tells us in uh, Proverbs 24, I was reminded of that, uh, just thinking about it. It says, deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. We see a world that is stumbling to the slaughter. He says, if you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So God expects us. We see where the world is heading, and we have a responsibility to warn the world. Just to reiterate, uh, we want to follow what Christ uh, instructed us. He said, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you asked about the work. And, of course, we're thankful that Christ has opened the doors, that we're preaching the gospel to Russia uh, in Russian language, Ukrainian language, we've uh, reached uh, the world in uh, subtitles with Chinese. Uh, of course, we have our regular programs in uh, French and Spanish. Uh, so we're just opening, praying that God will open even more doors for the gospel to go out. But it says to preach the gospel in every, to all every creature. And then, of course, in Matthew, he gave us the great, what is called the Great Commission. Uh, verse 19, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we have that comfort, we have that power, and along with that mission, he mentions in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So this isn't just a work of men. It's the work of Jesus Christ, and we have to, well, of course, we're using human beings. We have co-workers and donors and members that are supporting the preaching of the gospel worldwide. But Christ has all authority in heaven and earth, so we have that confidence that the gospel is going to go out in greater power. This might actually be a great transition to talk a little bit about, about Dr. Meredith, because we, uh, we were very thankful to have his leadership uh, for so many years. And you, Mr. Ames, mentioned, of course, we've been talking about the work. And uh, we, we know that, that there's a, a, a kingdom coming, that, that God will establish his kingdom on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 6, talks about blessed and holy are those who are in the first resurrection. And they'll reign under Christ for a thousand years. And so when we talk about the work, a lot of times what we're talking about is, is preaching the good news about that coming kingdom. And there's a, a lot to that, that message. It's, it's a whole way of life. We've got to grow in grace and knowledge and so forth. And Dr. Meredith, for uh, how many years was it? 64 and a half. Four and a half years, uh, was able to, uh, to be an, an a minister of Jesus Christ and, and an evangelist. Uh, he did die recently. And uh, we miss him, but the work goes on. The work goes on. And so one of the things we wanted to talk about today on the show today is just a little bit about, um, you know, who was Dr. Meredith uh, and, and, and the impact he made on, on, on us and, and, and on each of you. So could we spend a few minutes, Mr. Ames, may start well, with you? Well, my first uh, uh, interaction, I suppose, with Dr. Meredith was I was 
in Meriden, Connecticut, teaching uh, eighth grade Sunday school class. And uh, the material for it was, uh, well, least to say, very weak. So I was looking for more substantive information. And I had ignored the Plain Truth magazine, which I started in January 1960. And in the August uh, magazine edition of that year was a series by Dr. Meredith, The Ten Commandments. And I started using that for eighth grade Sunday school class. And that introduced me to Dr. Meredith and, of course, the importance and power of the Ten Commandments. Uh, later on, of course, I went to Ambassador College and had uh, lessons uh, and classes under him, uh, Freshman Bible, the Book of Acts, and the Epistles of Paul, and even uh, Advanced Homiletics, and some of the other classes. And he set such a wonderful example. And uh, there's some other personal relationships I could talk about later, but uh, maybe Mr. Weston wants to tell a little more about Dr. Meredith. I always remember, in fact, I have a, an article in the uh, upcoming Tomorrow's World magazine, and I think the title of it is something he, he told it like it is, or something along that line. Uh, I, I got that from actually young people. Uh, sometimes we have these Tomorrow's World Presents, where we go out and we invite all of our subscribers to uh, come and, and hear a message from one of our ministers, or a couple of our ministers. And uh, I've found that sometimes it's the young people that will walk up and say, you know, I really like the old guy. They, they can't remember his name, but I love the old guy. He tells it like it is. And, and the passion that Dr. Merrith brought to the preaching of the gospel, uh, he could walk up to the lectern, actually shuffle up in his latter years uh, with help from others, and he could sit down, actually not lectern, but a desk. And as soon as he started speaking, there was power. You never knew how weak he was physically because he put everything into it, and it took so much out of him. But even at the age of 86, he was uh, just driving himself to preach the gospel to the world. Uh, you, you men have known Dr. Meredith longer than me. Dr. Meredith uh, was a minister for longer than I've been alive. Um, but uh, I can just add that um, he was really amazing in the fact that up into his you know, mid-80s, just like you both mentioned, came into the office basically every day and uh, you know, walked up the stairs and, and, and went about writing and went about uh, making phone calls and, and really being about uh, the business of the church. And that also included not just uh, what I think he's almost famous for, you know, that drive and let's go on television channels and let's, let's increase the circulation and so forth, but I think what sometimes people maybe forget is, you know, he was the, the head pastor and, uh, you know, he dealt with uh, counseling and he loved uh, when the younger people uh, were, you know, getting to know each other and, and, and dating and uh, the youth programs and all that. Uh, his interest in the youth programs, for example, is something that I, I saw, how much he understood that God's church, the church, needs to be a, uh, uh, you know, a family, uh, and we are a spiritual family, and that also applied to his love for people around the world. As both of you men know, uh, we've got uh, members all around the world, from New Zealand to wherever, Australia and you know, England, and uh, Dr. Meredith cared about all of those, those people. He really did. I mean, there were details... That, 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 that we were exposed to because of working with him, um, that people would, would be surprised about how much he knew and cared about, well, this person over in South America, and you know, uh, how are they doing? And the youth programs, things like that. But he was a pastor at heart 
Um, and uh, I think that was a uh, was wonderful uh, example for us. I could add uh, another segment, another aspect of Dr. Meredith's ministry, of course. He was an educator and administrator as well as an evangelist and director of the ministry on two occasions. But he was the only one in the uh, ministry who was administrator of the three campuses of Ambassador College, Brickettwood, England, Big Sandy, Texas, and Pasadena, California. So over the many years, he taught Bible classes for decades, uh, thousands of students. And he also, of course, uh, wrote thousands of, uh, well, thousands of booklets and articles. I guess you add them up, hundreds. And of course, we've had in the series, uh, the written of the uh, Tomorrow's World magazine is a current series on the plain truth of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, you certainly need to read that. It's a powerful uh, discussion of what was the meaning of the Protestant Reformation. Was it trying to purify what was the true church or what? And uh, of course, this series will go on through uh, 2017 and on into 2018. And as it says in Revelation, uh, those who rest in the Lord, their works follow him. And Dr. Meredith, who recently died, his works will certainly follow him. Uh, you mentioned him being an educator. Second Peter 2.18, uh, Growing Grace and Knowledge. 3.18, Growing Grace and Knowledge. And, uh, you know, we all should grow in grace and knowledge, but he helped us to grow as well by, by being a, an educator. Uh, Living University is a, a, an online uh, Christian university that we have, and, and many people take classes. So he was an educator, uh, and there's a lot of good things we can say about him. Um, let me move on to another question we wanted to, to discuss, <clears throat> and it's actually back to the mission, but I think we have a little bit more that we can, we can say about the mission. Uh, there's a, a DVD that I want to put up here called The Mission of God's Work, and uh, I'll show it to everybody there on the, on the, the camera, The Mission of God's Work. And <clears throat> this um, DVD is, is available, all of our literature is available, you know, Jesus Christ said, freely you've received, freely give. So for those of you who don't know, if you want to request a booklet or anything, it's available at our website. It, all of these uh, uh, things are free, the booklets, the articles, the DVDs. But Dr. Meredith, um, he was committed to the, the mission of the church, which is to preach the gospel uh, to the world and to uh, blow the warning trumpet. On our website, in the About Us, Us page, and I'm going to get to a, a, a question here, um, uh, it says the following on our About Us page on the Tomorrow's World website. It says, Tomorrow's World pro proclaims to the world the good news of Jesus Christ's, soon come, or Jesus Christ's coming kingdom, Matthew 24, 14, Mark 16, 15, and blows a warning trumpet of God's impending judgment, calling for repentance and spiritual change, and then mentions the verses there. And then it gets, it, there makes a, another statement, or it makes another statement. We teach and practice original Christianity as taught and practiced by Jesus Christ and the original apostles. Mm -hmm. And that is really part of what the work is. You know, we, we don't just go on TV and say, re, you know, repent without explaining what that means. We don't just say the kingdom is going to come without explaining how we need to live. And Dr. Meredith um, was convicted about, you know, us uh, walking as Christ walked. What, what was his famous scripture? So I'd like some comments from, from you gentlemen, maybe about uh, the mission of God's work as relates to changing lives. And, and what does God's church do and teach as relates to, you know, original Christianity? What do we do 
We're not putting in down anybody else. But what do we do that's different for those of, uh, out there who don't know? Well, let me just say uh, Matthew 4.4 4 and uh, Luke 4.4. 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And that crosses a whole line of Christian living. We had a gentleman come in uh, recently, just a few days ago. And uh, he was inspired by reading one of Dr. Meredith's booklets, Christian Marriage. I uh, forget the exact title, uh, How to Have a Happy Marriage. And he said, this booklet saved my life. And Dr. Meredith had written that booklet. He's a big, tall man, I guess six, seven or something like that. Uh, but he was just enthusiastic. He wanted to come and uh, be with us in the Sabbath services. Uh, but it goes across a whole line of Christian living, uh, every word of God from the beginning to the end of the Bible. And, and of course, uh, Dr. Meredith wrote one article uh, years ago in the Tomorrow's World magazine called The R Word. What is that? <laughs> it's repent, because you find that many uh, ministries will preach the gospel, but not preach the word repent. And yet in Mark 1, Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And what did he say? Repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah, I think that one of the things that we, we see, which is kind of a conundrum here, is we have religions that will go to bat to save the Ten Commandments on a monument. But when you confront the, the leaders of those religions, so often they say, that the law is, is not necessary, it's been done away. And yet God gave us the law to protect us. Uh, it's not our enemy. If you go down the list of the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> you know, which ones do they want to get around? Uh, do we, should we have another God before the true God? Is it okay to murder, commit adultery, steal, uh, et cetera, et cetera? There's only one commandment they really want to get around, and that is the Sabbath day. And that brings us back to original Christianity. It was uh, the Christ and the apostles kept the Sabbath and the holy days. And it's the holy days that actually tell us the plan of God, uh, show us God's plan of salvation for mankind. And they're not just days that are thrown together uh, ad hoc. They are, it's a progression from the beginning, from Passover all the way down to what is called the last great day. And so when you get back to original Christianity, it, there's safety in it. It keeps us from making decisions that are bad. When you keep the Ten Commandments, God is basically saying that there's some decisions that always will turn out badly. Uh, you, you, somebody times somebody thinks that, well, a little adultery might be good. It's not going to end up well. It, it, there's always a price to pay for it. And it comes back to uh, the family teaching uh, their children. Are they teaching them the Ten Commandments? Just think of the murders that take place of young people in gangs. Were they ever taught by their parents or anyone? You shall not murder. So those are fundamental. And one of the statements of belief we can say is that we believe in keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath following the example of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Now further, we've had uh, programs, of course, on the festivals, the biblical festivals. Uh, the apostles kept the day of, of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. They were keeping the first century holy days. And so another statement of belief is that we believe in keeping the biblical festivals and holy days following the example of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Uh, you know, talking about the example of Jesus Christ, we talk about original Christianity. 
and uh, there's somebody that uh, that I, I know that will um, uh, argue with me sometimes, and you know, it's the law's done away. It's that conversation, and I'll try to remind him what does First Corinthians ten verses one, two, three, four say? You know, Israel was under the cloud; they 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 were in the wilderness, but the the rock that they followed, that rock, that pillar, was Jesus Christ. So who thundered the Ten Commandments? Jesus Christ. What law, you know, do we try to follow? Jesus Christ. And so we're thankful for Jesus Christ as our, as our uh, Passover. And, and we know that by his shed blood, our, our, our sins can be forgiven. We are thankful for God's grace. But Jesus Christ wants us to show our love for him and the Father by behaving a certain way. And if we go out and we take God's name in vain and we, we break the Sabbath and we commit adultery and we lie and steal, uh, we're not showing Jesus Christ that we uh, you know, love him and we're not practicing original Christianity, which is what you, 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 know, you gentlemen have been talking about what I asked us to, to, to discuss for a moment. Well, of course, the new covenant is Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, that God will write his laws on our hearts and on our minds. So that's right. a part. It, it was ex, the old covenant was external. The new covenant is internal. God writes his laws on our hearts. We live that way, not only in the letter of the law, but Jesus magnified the law in the Sermon on the Mount. So we have internalized God's law and we apply it in a spiritual way, not just in the letter of the law. You know, I've always wondered how people get around that scripture. And I think the way they, they think of it is, that, well, because I've heard this from people, well, God just speaks to my heart. Mm. And, and the bottom line is, whatever I think, that's what I'm supposed to do. But it says, I will write my laws, not, not man's laws, not what someone interprets to be the law, but is God's law. And so the new covenant supports the law of God. I want to say hello to people from uh, England. I just got a little note. Uh, looks like we have a lot of people that joined us. So thank you. England, Argentina, Canada, Norway, uh, South Africa, Jamaica. So hello to all of you. Uh, please do share the, 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 the Facebook stream. We thank you for joining us. <clears throat> we've been talking about uh, the mission of God's work. We've been talking about what is the church. We've been talking about Dr. Meredith. And we've been talking a little bit uh, about, uh, we, we, we haven't discussed this topic officially yet, but I want to kind of transition to it. Uh, what is the fate of of mankind, is there life after death, and so forth. And before we do, I want to let our readers or our, our viewers know we have this wonderful booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny. And this was written by, by Roderick Meredith, a wonderful, very uh, hopeful, very uplifting uh, booklet. And uh, What is a True Christian? Uh, both, uh, both very important booklets that if you would like to request, they're free or, or read them online. Um, to introduce this, and this may be about our last question, but to introduce this question, because uh, we've been talking about the work, and we've been talking about Dr. Meredith and his, his service, and he did die recently, and we, we miss him, we're sad about that, but we know we'll see him in the, in the, in the resurrection. There's an article uh, that we found earlier today from Huffington Post, and it's talking about how clergy can help believers die a good death, and it's actually an interesting article. Um, I think the under current there is very dangerous, so I'm picking up the writers, but I don't want to get into that. But one of the comments that the article makes is that U.S. clergy may be increasing the sting of death or the pain or the fear of death for many members of their flocks. And we, you know, there's a healthy desire to stay alive, right? Um, but should we, should we fear eternal torment in hell? Should we fear some a ambiguous 
future. Could we talk just a little bit about what is the hope for mankind for those who, who have died? I, I'd like to begin that by uh, going back to the very beginning. If God doesn't exist, what difference does it make? Uh, if God doesn't exist, we're going to die and it'll be the blackness of darkness forever. And that's the hope of an atheistic world. Uh, nevertheless, if we know that God exists, and there's so many proofs of God's existence today, I think that we've come to the place where we have uh, so much evidence, the, the complexity of life, that how in the world could all of this just have happened by chance? I'm talking about going right down to the cellular level, where scientists admit that it's even a single cell, a bacterial cell is more complicated than the most complicated machine made by man. Uh, how, how could this possibly happen? So if we know that God exists, then we can prove that uh, from his word what he says. And that's why Dr. Meredith did not fear death, because he knew that there is a resurrection. And that is our hope, that we just go to sleep and we come up in the resurrection. Well, I might mention your, your booklet. You may have mentioned that, John 3.16. I'll just show the uh, audience here. Uh, this is the hope of mankind, the golden verse of the Bible. John 3.16, hidden truths of the golden verse. What is hidden there? He shall not perish, it believes in Jesus Christ. That is a, a proper belief, a depth of belief that results in repentance with fruits of repentance. But there is a perishing, and we have to realize it does say in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So there is a, going to be a common fear that is associated with guilt. Anyone, I felt guilt feelings. I'm sure you, anyone in our audience felt guilt feelings. But how do you resolve that guilt feeling? You find out the good news from God's word that God is willing to forgive you if you repent and bring forth the fruits of repentance, as John the Baptist said there in Matthew 3. And then you can resolve that guilt. He also tells us in John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the good news of the Bible has to do with God's kingdom, with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and God the Father who is a loving Father and who promises the resurrection. So once you know that there is a resurrection and once you've made your peace with God, and that means repentance and baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit, then you have hope for the future. The Apostle Paul just spoke about the resurrection, and even when he was speaking to the Greeks in Athens, uh, they were shocked and surprised that someone could be raised from the dead. But that's the hope of a Christian. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, the resurrection chapters. But I think the question you're asking, Mr. Saselka, what happens when you die? We just had a telecast on that a few weeks ago. And it just tells us, so many scriptures just tell you, like... Uh, uh, what Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your mind, because there is no work or device in the grave where you are going. <laughs> you are going to the grave, not to some uh, mythical hell or uh, because you have an immortal soul, so-called, so or to heaven. That is not the time. There's only one person going to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're very thankful that he's there, but we're all looking forward to uh, the time uh, when the seventh trumpet sounds and those who have uh, genuinely uh, repented and been baptized and remain faithful to the end 
will be in the resurrection along with Dr. Meredith and all the saints from all over the world, from all groups, all nations. Uh, it's a beautiful scripture there. And well, I might want to just read it if we take too much time here. Uh, Revelation 5 and verse 9. A beautiful scripture. Uh, he tells us here, uh, and they sang a new song saying, talking about Jesus Christ, symbolically the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So Christ is the Savior of the world. Every single person can have that access even eventually. And of course, uh, he mentions in verse 10, our calling, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's a part of the gospel of the kingdom of God. I'd like to add a little bit here, and I appreciate all that overview that you've given there. But a lot of times people think that we think that we could be saved by our works. In other words, mm -hmm. that our uh, keeping God's law is what saves us. In reality, it is not. The law defines sin. And if you think about it, if you have no law, you have no sin. Because the Bible says in 1 John 3, 4 that sin is the transgression of the law. So if there's no law, there is no sin. If there's no sin, why do we need a Savior? But the law shows us what sin is. And when we transgress it, as we all have done, then we need a Savior, and that is Jesus Christ, the one who uh, Mr. Soselko was pointing out was the one who gave the Ten Commandments in reality. And he has came and he gave his life in exchange for our lives. And so we understand that Jesus Christ truly is our Savior. But he's not the Savior of a, of a cheap grace. He doesn't offer cheap grace. He expects us to change. And just one last thing on the booklet, which I confess I did read, but uh, I read, I wrote. Uh, but as Mr. Smith can uh, uh, promote some of the stuff, I guess he, I'll, he'll let me do that. Uh, but there's so much that's misunderstood about this subject. Uh, so many misunderstandings. John 3.16 is quoted all the time. But in that booklet, there are eight uh, chapters that show that each part of that verse are so misunderstood that people miss the point of the verse. Could, let me make a comment. I, th I think Mr. Ames will maybe want to make a comment as well, and then we'll start to wrap it up, because I think we're wrapping it up in a, in a really you know, positive, uh, uplifting way, frankly. We're talking about the good news. Um, if you go to our website, go to tomorrowsworld.org and type in law, grace, type in obedience, grace, and you will get a lot of articles. One of these articles is by this uh, gentleman called Richard F. Ames. Oh, okay, I see. And uh, it's a good article. And, and, and there's a lot of good articles on the website. But um, um, I think that, that we, we could, any of us could really get in a deep conversation about this. And, and I'm not making light of it. But I think one of the fallacies is the either-or fallacy. And for those of you who are listening, who don't understand what we're saying about that, just please go to tomorrowsworld.org and type in, obedience, grace, law, grace. It's not one or the other. We, we must have God's grace, but we must understand that there is a law. Mr. Ames, I think you were wanting to make a comment as well. Well, <clears throat> some people think that uh, we don't talk about grace enough, but uh, the Bible is just filled with God's grace. It's not only just uh, uh, unmerited pardon, but it's God's favor and his mercy. And he tells us in uh, uh, Hebrews, uh, or is it, you know, Hebrews 4, 16, 
come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain grace and mercy at a time of need. So again, it's not uh, either or, it's grace and uh, God's law written on our hearts and minds. It's internalized, it's a way of love. A love is the fulfilling of the law, says in um, Romans 10.13 or 13.10. Anyway, uh, love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's a way of life that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, it says in John 10 and verse 10. And that's what we rejoice in is the way of life. And yet we want to do what Jesus said in John 4.34, my meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. I think on that note, we can probably wrap up. I appreciate everybody joining us. Thank you very much uh, to both of you gentlemen for, for being on today. Uh, join us next time. It should be 3 o'clock next Thursday. Uh, please uh, remember to go to the website for uh, information, material that you can request for us to mail to you, or <clears throat> you can read it or watch it online. It's always free. And uh, again, we thank you for tuning in. So until that, until next time, uh, we appreciate your support, and uh, we thank you for joining us today. Thank you.